This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to episode 55 of InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from our 11FS recording studio in Finsbury Avenue. Today, I'm back with my co-host, Nigel Walsh. We haven't seen you in a while, Nigel. Where have you been? Jazz hands. I think I've been traveling the world. I generally have country to country. I am, I'm delighted to be back and I'm delighted to see something on the wall. Yes, that was um, nothing to do with you, actually, but I'm glad you're pleased. I'm glad you're pleased. Um, So on today's show, we're talking about how the wealth management industry and the insurtech industry can work together um, and to create better products. So to talk about this with us, uh, we're joined by some fantastic guests. Uh, Making his debut, we have Jeff Keast, who is the co-CEO at Montu. Thank you for joining us today, Jeff. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself at Montu to start with? Yeah, sure. So I guess for those that can hear the dulcet tones of a New Zealander ringing in your ears. um, Don't say Aussie. Well played. Uh, well, all South African, to be honest. No offence to my Antipodean <laughs> friends. Um, but for my sins, I actually live in uh, New York City. Um, also a Canadian, strangely enough. Um, but Montu is a, a software company. Uh, we provide uh, software to life insurance carriers that combines actuarial science, data science, and optimization algorithms to identify customer buying behaviour, customer retention behaviour, and optimal strategies that you can take to improve value of life insurers' books. Quite geeky, very mathematical, and I am not an actuary, nor am I a data scientist. <laughs> that was a mouthful and a half. We're, we're going to break that down in a minute. Yeah, 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 feel free. I can draw you a pretty sweet Venn diagram not if you want. Walls. Yeah. Not on these walls. Don't touch the walls. Yeah. Um, we will get into that in a bit, but Perfect. thank you very much. Sure. Uh, we have, I was going to say returning, we have Mel Palmer, who is the CMO at Nucoro, but I think you've been on FinTech Insider. Have you done InsureTech Insider I before? have never done InsureTech Insider before. Well, in yeah. which case, welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming along. Can you tell us a little bit about Nucoro? Yeah, sure. So we are a software company as well, um, but we exist to help banks and insurance firms to basically launch cool savings, investment and advice propositions. Brilliant. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, we have Scott Wolchek, CEO and founder at Trove. Very happy to have you here today. Thanks. A little bit jet lagged, I understand. Oh, yeah. If I can complete a sentence this, um, this afternoon, it'll be great. <laughs> um, well, can you start? This is an easy one. Can you start by giving us a quick overview of Trove, what it is and yeah, what I think it does? Most of your listeners would probably know us as the pioneers of on-demand insurance. Manifest this little app that we created to help people um, connect or protect anything anywhere for any duration of time. And now we're launching on that investment um, a, a line of white-label products across all PNC uh, um, insurance columns. And so we're happy to be here in London. We're launching this week with uh, Lloyd's Banking Group, uh, the Powered by Trove uh, renter's application that's being taken out under the Halifax brand. Brilliant. So we can get into that a bit more later on as well. Um, But let's get on with the show. So let's start with a little bit of background to set the scene. The wealth management industry is having to focus on a new generation that has different financial behaviours and habits, including a general desire to manage finances digitally. Different generations also have broadly different attitudes and methods when it comes to creating wealth. Factors like student debt, high levels of self-employment and likely a different worldview affect how younger people save and manage their money. 
On today's show, we're going to be talking about what wealth management and SureTech crossover looks like and how it can drive both sectors forward. So let's start with wealth management. Um, Let's just sort of have a broad definition to start with. People hate when I start with definitions, but I think it makes it easier for for us all to be on the same page. Who wants to have a bash at defining wealth management? No one. I'm looking looking at Mel. (laughs) I I think Mel's the most qualified one here. (laughs) Being in the wealth space, I will go for it first. So um, I guess my view of what wealth management is is any tools and services that help you to reach financial independence. And that doesn't matter if it's one pound or millions of pounds. It reaches across the entire spectrum of people's financial lives. And and what sort of changes do we think we've seen over recent years in wealth management? We talk a lot on this show about, you know, changes in industry. And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, how different people's habits and behaviours are affecting insurance. Uh, Mel, have you seen much of that in wealth management as well? Yeah, I think there's a real want to democratise access to wealth management. That's been a real trend. You've got a lot of robo-advisors coming out to like lowering the barriers to entry. So before you'd have to go to a financial advisor, you'd need two to 300 grand. Now you can start with £20. So I think that's been a massive kind of shift that we've seen. However, there's still kind of the mindset element of are people looking for wealth management solutions um, and should someone who only has £20 be investing Does, that money. Doesn't wealth management, the term itself, scare the living daylights out of people generally? So this whole unbundling of the bank account, the insurance app, all these things made it accessible. I mean, you all remember the CB Insights unbundling the bank. I now think you've got to a point where people have gone, I don't want 300,000 apps on my phone to do my life. Mm. Let's whiz it all back up again and get back into something called wealth management. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's quite interesting. So we've, we've seen that in like quite a lot in financial services. You talk about unbundling the bank. And anal- a really interesting analogy I heard a few years ago was people that talked about uh, like a greengrocer, a florist, a butcher. They had individual services and then came the supermarket and now people are starting to buy individual services again. So people are actually starting to go back to the butcher right. or they're going back to the, the greengrocer. So I actually think we're seeing that a lot in financial services, and that also includes wealth management. Like you see the rise of like Clink or Robinhood or you know apps that perform a very specific part yeah, yeah. of wealth management, and they're not the whole service. A shameless plug, but it's we have all the ingredients, but we just want cake. It took like 20 seconds to get there. We're back in cake. You don't walk <laughs> in and go, I want... 100 grams of flour, three eggs and whatever else, you say, just give me the cake. And mm. I think we could, that to me is almost the wealth management story and insurance. And, but, but is it? I mean, in some Unless ways... Unless you watch The Great British Bake Off, Nigel, in which oh, case yeah. is the exact opposite. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, very true. Okay, yeah. go on, sorry. Well, I was just thinking, if you've watched things like... Um, did you see that Rappi, just this, like, last week became a bank? Mm-hmm. And who's, like, who's Rappi? Rappi, it's the same thing with Grab. So... In in uh, in Asia, Southeast Asia, and and now in Latin America, the the inexpensive ways to capture consumers like um, Rappi was a Postmates uh, competitor, you know, delivery of goods, services, what have you, or goods to a door, really inexpensive uh, way of capturing consumers, yeah, yeah. and now it's becoming a financial services platform. Grab Taxi in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, was uh, obviously a, a taxi service, right? Hail, they re- replaced Uber down there. And a b- very inexpensive way to capture a bunch of consumers. Now they're becoming a super app. They have Grab Pay for. So it's super interesting that, yes, indeed, I think there is a move to specialty apps and, and the unbundling, but it's the access to these specialty apps, in particularly in these 
in the super apps context. Yeah. That is particularly in Asia. Right? Yeah, it is yeah. 100% WeChat. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It, and if you follow the SoftBank money, whether that's a good thing to do nowadays, <laughs> but, um, but if you follow SoftBank money, that is in fact part of their thesis is find the most inexpensive way to capture consumers and then and then offer them financial services from financial planning to insurance. Do you but think you there's a... Oh, sorry. sorry. No. <laughs> I'll just say, I, I, um, like philosophically, do you think calling it wealth management is the right thing to do as well? Mm. Because I, I think like the generation younger than mine, and I won't necessarily say how old I am, this, this beard doesn't hide a baby face. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I, don't, I also think people don't think about the acquisition of wealth like the older generation does. I think people are a little bit more altruistic than they used to be. So I feel like calling it wealth sometimes puts people off as well. well, well, well Mel, did, what did you want to say? I was just going to say in terms of the the ecosystem, you know, you talk about WeChat and you have lots of apps in one. Actually, I think there's a real role to play of connecting the dots between those apps. You know, we are kind of unbundling, but if you are a person who is saving, at some point you will become an investing person. So instead of... Um, then saying, okay, now you have to go over here. It should be the role of whoever that financial platform is to say, are you ready now? I've seen that you've got this amount of money. Have you looked at doing X, Y, and Z? And that's actually the really fundamental journey that technology can do in the future, but perhaps doesn't do that well yet. It's partly yet. our fault, right? It's partly our fault in that we've created this fintech um, or insurtech scene that's unbundled these things and made individual pieces cool. I often talk about adults with assets don't fit into the fintech scene. Because as soon as you get a mortgage, a house, a pension, a savings account, you all of a sudden you're beyond the average, let's put five quid away a month into a pot. Because five quid a month at the end of the year is 60 quid and you can't buy much with it if you've got a house. So that whole adults with assets need a service. I'm now thinking is wealth, to your point, the right word. Well, I... So... <laughs> so I think, you know, just to bring this sort of back round, my, my perspective on this is that wealth management is managing the wealth you have. Now, that could be financial wealth or it could be your financial assets or it could be, you know, whatever else you have and you care about and you want to look after. Your wealth could be your laptop and your That's fancy right. camera and your bicycle. If you are an audio engineer, your wealth could literally be the kit you have. Mm -hmm. Now, that brings us nicely onto insurance. Um, but I think, that, I think that a lot of people don't understand. I think people have a very narrow perspective of wealth. And we've just spent 10 minutes sort of bouncing backwards and forwards on it. But I think that if you take a broader perspective, you can look at wealth as everything you have, everything you own. And in that perspective, insurance actually plays into that very well, as, as do mortgages, as do assets, as do everything else. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, super interesting if you think of the arc of Trove, actually, if you knew us. We've been around since 2012, and the idea there was to give agency to individuals over the information about the things, particularly the financial value of their tangible assets. So we literally created a, an asset, we, we call it an asset class, of your, of your stuff, yeah. And uh, and so that's literally became kind of the the arc of trove was help people capture the information, reduce the the reduce the friction around helping people capture the information around your things, give them discrete control over that that those things, and then keep that the information about their things fresh, like update the the yeah. the essentially the. Um, uh, the total sum of all of your tangible assets. Trove was a re digital repository for the information about your things. So that was, for many people, was the no, watch. We were then invited into the homes of, like, massive names around the world to digitize the information about their stuff. Why? Because their wealth, the information about their wealth, existed in an analog world. 
uh, and it was really hard. I, we, we were in uh, – I probably can't say these names on, on – uh, anyway. And, uh, and we would then uh, be able then to offer insurance or other ways for them to benefit from that information. Um, anyway, so the long story short was then uh, the, the, the big pivot for us was let's actually target the um, – the, the youthful generation, a younger generation is just coming into their acquisitive lives and they're building up a corpus of wealth around the things that they own. And mm-hmm. wealth being, in this case, just exactly mm-hmm. what you said, my, my bike, my computer, my, my, my camera, the things that, you know, my DJ kit, exactly the same sort of things. And, and, uh, and that gave us then the sort of the launch into how do you protect the downside, the risky part, which is how do I protect against loss? So I think, I think we've got to the point here where there's sort of there's, there's, there's perhaps two two different elements to wealth that we're going to look at today. And I want to sort of start moving us into where we have crossovers between wealth management um, and, and insurance, because there are loads of points where these these two cross over. We haven't completely lost our minds, by the way, for people who've been listening for the first 10 minutes of this. We are we are still doing InsureTech Insider. I haven't branched us out into Wealth Tech Insider. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to do this show today because there, there are an awful lot of places at, at which there is a crossover. Um, so we've we just mentioned one there, which is, I guess, maybe the, the philosophical definition of wealth, kind of is it your physical assets or your money? But where else Where else do we see crossover? Because there's already interaction between the wealth management industries and the insurance industry, huge interaction. Um, Mel, yep. you're nodding at me, so I assume you want Sorry, to go yeah, first. Sorry, I keep yeah. nodding. And then yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. There is crossover in lots it's of really places. really good on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Please tell us where, you see, where else you see crossover. Yeah, I mean, I think so. When we launched, we were really focused actually on the wealth proposition. And, you know, I think from my perspective, I was also kind of saw wealth as money. That was my perspective as well. And it's been a really interesting journey recently to see how closely aligned insurance and wealth are. I mean, you can go on to Vitality, for example, and you can see that they have investments and that's alongside your health insurance. Um, banks will offer you travel insurance alongside your normal bank accounts. Um, And one of the projects that we've just worked on is working with an insurance firm who have a massive distribution network, they have face-to-face relationships, and we can offer a wealth proposition alongside that. So you can have that conversation that moves from being over here we talk about insurance and over here we talk about wealth to this much more holistic approach to, hey, what is your financial situation? What do you own? What do you want to protect? And have that all in one, which again kind of comes back yeah, to yeah. The, the unbundling, rebundling. And yeah. The, the, the best way that I've ever seen this done, I always get back to this, probably about 10 years old or maybe eight years old, is an old John Lewis ad, probably a Christmas ad, and it shows how a, uh, a young girl goes through life to become a, a school kid to a young mum, sorry, to marry to a young mum to a grandparent, and it shows how the, how the retail store, is uh, like a Neiman Marcus or a Macy's here, they'll kill me for either of those definitions, I'm sure, um, but it's a, it's a department store that they're, they're showing how it's there for you for your entire life. Uh, that's how I personally view wealth. I wanted to know how will you be there all my different life stages from buying a house to moving house to having kids and whatever else. And that's that's where I put wealth. I don't put insurance in that group, although it should all bundle Why its way Why wouldn't you put insurance yeah, in ag- that group? I agree. So, I mean, I think about it from a US perspective. So I'm relatively new to insurance. I spent most of my life in retail banking. U.S. life insurers are essentially wealth management companies. And a lot of those are our clients, right? Like you look at their portfolio of products, protection, sure. You've got savings products, right, which is essentially wealth management. And then you've got annuities, which is essentially wealth management as well, right? But you're managing it for your, your retirement. So I think there's huge crossover, especially in, in, in 
com- in countries where there's a big diversity of products. Like pure protection, maybe not, but when yeah. you look at like savings and investment style products, that's, that's, that's fundamentally yeah, right. wealth management, like variable universal life or indexed universal life or annuities products, you know, spears and deers and all those funny things. That's their wealth management. It's effectively, yeah. it's almost exactly the same as a pension. When you look at what you're actually doing with it, you're putting money away per month or per year or whatever, hoping it will grow in value and is there for you, you know, a pension, hopefully before you die. Um, but it's exactly the same principle. It is. I think the, the challenges that I see is a lot of those products are complicated. Like they, they, you, it's, it's, it's very hard for the average financially, even a, someone that's relatively financially literate consumer to understand purchasing a life insurance product that's actually a savings vehicle or an investment vehicle. Like it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's people make good money out of it and the insurers do very well. But you go, you go a stage further and I think you've, you've touched the point that we go back to time and time again on the show here and everything else we talk around around education. I think I'm going to get shot, I'm sure, again. The average person doesn't necessarily care about insurance and more importantly understands less about it. As soon as you move into life and pensions or annuities or all those sorts of things, the level of education and understanding required to get into the detail. And actually in the UK, there's a, a thing a while back called the Retail Distribution Review, the RDR, that talked about how um, advice went from embedded in the product to paid for, the number of people that were there, therefore getting advice and getting the right advice or prepared to pay for it when they saw it in a transparent way mm. um, changed the nature of how people saw and got or invested in pensions going forward, which then linked into workplace pensions and so much more. But I think we've almost, we've got to a stage now where we need to make it easier for people to understand what they do and that investments go up and down and all the other good things that go with it. But I worry still about the education level, never mind of general insurance and, and P&C, but for the L&A space, it's a massive, massive difference for people to get hold of. It is, and sorry, and it is also as well the way that they're getting educated, like, again, putting my kind of US lens on, the average demographic of an advisor in the US is a 59-year-old white male. Right. So, so how are you going to educate people that don't necessarily? N- no, no, thanks, God. I'm older than that. But. Uh, um, but, but how are you going to educate like a huge part of the market, which, which a doesn't buy these products anyway, and maybe isn't even thinking about wealth when the people that are educating them, and I don't mean this in a sinister way, just don't relate to them in any way. Yeah. Like, how, how are you actually going to perform education? I just, I just don't really think it's set up to do that. You can't that. relate. How does, it, how does a 25-year-old girl or guy out of university in their first or second job relate to the 59-year-old guy? We, we had a guy come to our house uh, many years ago and refused to speak to my wife. He just engaged me all the time. Like, this is our house, our property, our kids. And needless to say, he didn't get the job. So just couldn't relate. It's interesting. Um, it's this the, – the, one of the – uh, reasons that Lloyd's had done this um, relationship with Trove, where they're launching insurance products. Remember, they're Lloyd's. Lloyd's. This is Lloyd's. Um, Lloyd's Banking Group. Yep. So the oldest and largest bank yeah. in. Uh, and what I have UK. to keep saying, Lloyd's, yeah. no, the bank, not yeah, the other exactly. one. Yeah, yeah, you right, talk about right. insurance. Yeah, they think about the Lloyd's. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I said. Like <laughs> Lloyd's Banking Group, and they have several brands: Halifax, Lloyd's, it's, uh, Lloyd's itself, and then Bank of Scotland, and about I think another ten other brands. But they're what was most attractive to them is this is this connection between the um, the transactional volume that goes through their um, their app. They have thirty four thousand monthly active thirty four million monthly active users, and they can identify out of that ten million through the the constancy of what they're they're watching the data when they're when they're doing these um, when they're encountering uh, you know a, 
a wedding moment or a you know ch- children childbearing whatever it might be and they can then leverage those moments to the benefit of either education or you know offering them these unique or bespoke insurance products that are completely aligned with these moments that they they can identify through the data that they're capturing i mean it's the idea that we we talk about an awful lot and i, I don't know how close we are to it but it gets the idea gets boosted around a lot particularly on this podcast that you kind of you need a a holistic product that isn't a product it's just it is a it goes 100%. about your life it goes through your life your life stages so you know as you said you graduate university maybe you get married maybe you have a baby maybe you buy a house they can come in all sorts of they come in all sorts of different order right but those things are, at which point you are going to need a selection of things and we've talked about it before and we've talked about home insurance on this show you get a mortgage and you get home insurance, and yeah. then you kind of that's that's that point. Um, the big one for me, and I think the one I would start with, and I've said this before, is I'd go for the people who are retiring because those people have money. <laughs> um, but you know, there are other life stages in the way. Is it? Sorry, I was going to ask Mel, well, like what your target market is? Is it? So we've kind of moved away, I guess, from the target market approach. We have our retail proposition, and that's for people who kind of know what they're doing when it comes to investing because you have to make certain selections and you have to know certain things. Um, But what's been really good about taking the B2B route is that we can build the products and services that the banks or insurance firms need. So if it is for millennials or somebody who's about to retire – we can build that product as opposed to you taking the one out of the box and going here, copy, paste, offer this to every single person. And actually, you've not really moved that proposition forward. It's not very bespoke. It's not very tailored. It's just it's digital. So it's fine. So (laughs) we really want to be that kind of push the innovation piece to say, hey, build something that they really, really need and want. And we can help you do that. It matches their risk profile at certain points in life. Well, yeah. And like Elvest, for example, in the US, like um, very, you know, female focused proposition. And they talk a lot about on the site how, you know, when you have just given birth, for example, you are not paying into your pension. That impacts how your money should be managed. If you are going to care for people later in life, that impacts what risk level you should be. And, you know, these are types of things that are really important. And that's, for you know, 50%. That's not even a niche market, but that's still not something that's kind of regularly done in the investment space. So I think there's a huge opportunity, even at that level, to do something, take that first step forward. There's, there's a recent court case, right, in the UK about um, people, for females specifically, having not uh, not made contributions to their pensions during that period and that went to the high court I think. It's, no that was the government's fault and what they did was they raised the age at which women received ah, pensions yes, to the same as it would be for men which was incredibly unfair because it meant that women who were expecting to get their pensions at 60 now would not get them until they were 65 yes. so they hadn't got any money for five years they were retired anyway the government different story, mess, but different. they didn't take into account things like mortality rates and how life expectancy is changing we're going up yeah so the point the, was they changed the age without taking that yeah, into account okay. um Mel, did you want to tell us a little bit about what you've actually been doing with insurers? So you can give us some like tangible examples here. Tangible of examples, tech yes. Tech insure, tech crossover. It's almost like I planned. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I guess one of our most relevant ones is an insurance one that we've just done in Switzerland with a company called Swiss Risk and Care. Um, and what they wanted to do is to offer, I mean, offer a better service for their clients, but also for their brokers. So there's kind of two sides to this, I think, when you're an insurance firm, particularly when you have that face-to-face distribution network, that if you just create something that's good for the client and isn't a good experience for the brokers they're not going to use it and it doesn't actually help you so building them a hybrid solution which means hey they can go in they can sit there with the potential client talk through the insurance conversation and say oh look we've got a swanky app as well which also means that instead of them buying the life insurance then you're not speaking to them for six years or 10 years or 20 whatever it might be you can start to engage in a conversation that happens 
every year. And I think a lot of the conversations we've had with insurance firms is, is how can I re-engage my clients mm. and build up that relationship when actually the one time that people get in touch with insurance companies is when things are going wrong. Mm. You know, it's a really kind of negative relationship in that sense. So how can you add this element of positivity? And wealth management's a really lovely way to do that. Um, and then you think about, I guess, habits as well. If you're spending £50 on your life insurance every month and then you could also spend £50 into investing into a normal ISA or whatever it might be, that fits really nicely together. So we're just seeing that really lovely synergy. And for them, you know, it's a diversified business model. It's a new revenue stream. And you don't really have to change your internal infrastructure as well because it's essentially a wealth management, I guess, bolt on. So when you're when you're you know speaking to, to these wealth managers, um, how is there a disconnect between, and this sort of applies to everybody as well, is there a sort of disconnect between the, where wealth managers are with technology and innovation and where insurers are with technology and innovation? Because I feel like it would be safe to say that we think retail banks are several steps ahead. I know, um, Scott, you've been working with, you know, the stuff you've done, but you've been working with the retail bank. But are wealth managers and insurers sort of on a level playing field or are they equally far behind or are there areas where they're advanced of each other and they can help each other out here? I think, well, our experience in the wealth management space is people are crying out for technology. So there isn't this kind of, I'm not sure if we need this or I'm not sure how important it is. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, we have to because we're just not going to get more clients unless we do something about it. On the insurance side, the experience that we've had, a lot of it does involve face-to-face. You are not talking about kind of personal lines insurance. So in that side, the pressure isn't on as much and it becomes more of an innovation forward-looking piece rather than a keeping the wolf from the door piece. Isn't it a blend? Uh, uh, yeah, actually. So there, I found it a little different in that. And we're talking uh, – because we've been at the InsurTech thing sort of before InsurTech mm-hmm. was cool, we are invited to – you know, the board level to most of these, or at least the C-suite to most of the largest insurers in the world. And they, to the one, are pretty much um, wrestling with, uh, with, with essentially two things, modernization versus innovation. So the, the, the locus of their, uh, of their IT resources being placed against the modernization of their core systems, which means when we come in and we say, look, we have full stack products and we can integrate. And like as soon as I say integrate, it's like a four-letter word. Go, <laughs> don't even think about integrating with our stuff. It's in, it's in, the, it's in the intensive care unit. Don't even think about it. And that's why our proposition right now. So it, it, there is a, a great deal of felt need inside of insurers to innovate, but they're being – um, kept back from innovation because they have to still modernize their core the systems. Technical debt, yeah. technical debt, huge. It's you know it's COBOL on prem that has to be moved to the cloud. And if you just watch the just watch the stock price of Guidewire mm-hmm. in the last five years, like literally over the the world of ins- of InsurTech, Guidewire stock's gone from when they invested us at thirty what thirty one dollars a share, it's now well over a hundred dollars a share, and it's just been a tear because it's a multi year, multi hundred million dollar investment that these insurers are making. And we come and we say, and we can be your in, your innovation partner by having full stack, uh, you know, white label products that go from engagement all the way through uh, the back end claims adjudication, all built on our stuff, and you don't have to integrate. But that's the, the the point you made earlier is the engagement, right? So you were both talking about engagement being face to face or otherwise. This is where I have always thought Trove had a an opportunity to change the game around how we engage, how we turn things on or off accordingly, where it was originally, I think you parted with a, a different carrier uh, the first yeah. time around. Right, right. But so watch this. So 
so the app we've deprecated around the world now. So it's it's no longer available. It's, we do not have any more B2C face. It's all B2B. And so what we've learned, though, from this on-demand insurance for single items we call the atomic disassembly of insurance, we have all this great data about how the modern consumer engages with insurance at the most atomic level. Now we're in, we're in clo- encasing that, if you would, in in bigger, chunkier risks, yeah. like the renter's product is a, you have a renter's liability product that has a, 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 a you know, monthly subscription, and then you can add items when you take them out of the house. You can add them on demand for whatever duration. Turn on your camera Friday at 4.40, turn it off on Sunday morning, and it's all seamlessly done on the same bill. It's seamlessly integrated. Your your premium turn, you know, gets up and down just like that. Um, let me tell you a story about one of our now, – now you're going to have to do one of those moments when I'm now – I knew I was going to go somewhere <laughs> and I don't forget what it was. It's all right. I was all gonna, right, you go interrupt. I was going yeah. to bring it back to Jeff and say <laughs> yeah. that given what you're doing is is quite, you know, on the, the bleeding edge of the, the software side, the technology side. Sure. How do you, how, how do you find legacy players when you – you know, in terms of technology? Uh, yeah. Oh, the look uh, on your face. Yeah, <laughs> moderately upsetting. So, uh, <laughs> polite Kiwi here. Come uh, on, let it out. Let it Kimmy, out. So, prior to Monto, I worked for a pretty large software company called Fiserv. Um, I've heard of them. I think most of our listeners probably yeah, have heard yeah, of them. Yep. Yeah, so based here in London, uh, you know, we did a reasonable amount. I wouldn't say necessarily transformation projects, but we did a you know, pretty significant number of projects around Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and obviously like a big, big US business. Um, I thought retail banking was behind and then I went to life insurance yeah. and I almost wept. Um, <laughs> like and some of the things that I just find so befuddling, like when a life insurer requires a new book of business, they take on their core and all their administration system. So I was at a conference the other day and we were asking a show of hands, some big life insurers have 50 cores, 100 cores. They're running multiple administration systems to no, run no their reaction. business. This is my life. This is, like, <laughs> this is no reaction. This to, is numb to it. To, to, to running their business. And I, and I just, I can't understand it. Honestly, and then I think about it because I've always been kind of on the more on the digital side. Like, how on earth are they going to create a really good customer experience if there's no way that they can actually process that customer through their own crazy spaghetti infrastructure? This is now where you start to look at the cycles of insurance in terms of the life cycle of a a P and C insurance for for the the carrier itself used to be about seven years, and every seven years they'd look at their architecture, their estate, their uh, their execs would change around. That's probably got quicker over the last few years to probably like three or four years. Life insurers was probably fifteen years, maybe twenty. So the cycle of execs changing or books of business changing is much much slower. So it's naturally at the back end of the of the curve as you move things around. But your point about digital therefore goes. How do we now encompass these all back up into wealth management? Well, you can't do it. You're, you're always uh, operate at the speed of the slowest components. So just because Scott can turn things on and off in a heartbeat, if you're doing everything you know, once every five years, yeah. you're going to be five yeah. years slow no matter what. Yeah, I agree. And, and I guess you know, just on the, the legacy infrastructure, I guess you use the, maybe the, the dirty four-letter word of integration. I think the dirtier word is migration. Like that is where, like when you go down and you sit down with an insurer or a life insurer and you talk about, you know, we're going to stand up a new system for you, but we're going to have to migrate some data. It's just... Well, they've seen what's what's happened to the retail banks who've tried it and gone, we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a a really interesting... I I just think there's huge opportunities in life insurance. And there's a really interesting company 
in you in the US, it's kind of it's not just life insurance; it's insurance and financial services. But Uncork, I don't yep. know if you've ever heard of Un- Uncork. So you know, Gary was the ex global CIO of MetLife. Like they're doing a, an amazing job bringing a lot of financial services companies on onto their platform with the ability to stand up products, quite complicated products, really quickly without needing to learn how to code in COBOL, you know, or, or whatever else it might be. So I, I, it's, no. it's, it's definitely it's definitely changing, but. I still believe in life insurance are our customers and I love them. They're the slowest ones out of all the all their financial well, services. Well, at least we know where the 69-year-old white guys will go after they finish their <laughs> career. They can become COBOL coders again, right? Yeah. Um, but the point you've just made there that the platform that you're talking about, presumably you can stand up a wealth a, you know, a, a wealth proposition like a, a portfolio manager and an insurer on, on that kind of platform. Is that I, I think you can, yeah. I mean, I'm not entirely sure all the different types of lines of business that they mm-hmm. support, but I know it's quite a lot of insurance and, and also quite a lot of like broader financial services. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, as we were just saying, it's kind of at the at the back end. It's still the management of money, right? And the fr- it's the, the front end's a bit different. You've got to have a claim system on one side and a portfolio management system on the other. Then those front end things are not the things that have proved difficult. But, but even front end, some of the composite carriers, either multi line carriers, don't do a good job. Others, I mean, you know, I speak uh, favorably about Aviva because they're mm. a I'm a customer of theirs, but b bringing all their things together into their My Aviva piece is really impressive. They've got a digital front end that shows my car insurance, my home insurance, my investment, my protection, my pension, all in one place. I never want to move address because I know, and they'll probably admit to me as well, if I change address, I get like umpteen letters back from all the underlying core systems. So- it doesn't actually. I've done that and I'm completely paperless with Aviva and they just they just send you one letter. That's just so you know. good. I've attracted my comment and I'm very impressed. <laughs> um, but whilst we're on the point about Aviva, um, just to bring it back to kind of like all this is great on the back end, talking about technology and what's possible, but I don't know how many people would know that Aviva did do investments as well as insurance. Like I don't, and Aviva is a very well-known brand here in the UK. It's 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 one of the, the biggest sort of car insurers, home insurers, life insurers. life insurers, pension providers, those kind of things people do know. Nigel, you're scowling at me. Do you think people do know that they do broader services than that? I'm scowling because I'm not sure I... I because my I'm question not... is, does it matter? Because if we're going to talk about Aviva, and let's say Aviva, let's just use Aviva for, for an example, big brand, lots of customers done a lot in digital if somebody's going to go out there and offer kind of a composite you know a holistic proposition that is insurance alongside wealth inside but let's call it protection uh, I somebody call it the other day like your protection system this is back to the age the age group or the history or whatever else and I think I would never have imagined buying life insurance from a company called Anorak or <laughs> car insurance from a company called Poncho or home and renters from okay. a company life, by, life by spot. Right exactly so it's like <laughs> it's, it's, it's less but for me it's less about the name and more about would you buy a wealth management product from an insurer or an insurance from a wealth management product or do we have to come up with a new name for them and just call them something finance or or in fact do they just go away does this yeah. idea yes. about brands go away oh, in, don't tell lemonade that given how much they just well, pay for think that lawsuit it's hugely <laughs> important to understand and anyway yeah. watch what's happening over in, in Asia mm-hmm. where WeChat is becoming look at it it's we haven't seen it yet very well throughout um, throughout the West, we're going to see it in we're going to see it in, um, in in Latin America. You're seeing it through Southeast Asia, and you're seeing it in China, where super apps are becoming the ways that people are engaging in every good and service, yeah. whether it's delivery of food, uh, entertainment, uh, communication between friends, 
or um, or financial services. It will be embedded services 100%. that will win the game and and this whole world around spending ridiculous amounts of money amounts amounts of money. Why do you think we're out of the business of direct to consumer? I'm guessing the same with you. CAC was. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the economics are nicer slightly yeah, than the B2B yeah. space. <laughs> I, I could not agree more around embedded and invisible. I then go back to country by country regulation. Uh, our regulator will have some fun with this. There's something in the UK called IDD, Insurance Distribution Directive, which limits your ability to do things like cross-selling or embedding and all but those sorts of good things to make why... sure you get uh, – you do, <clears throat> so you don't – um, penalize either vulnerable customers or you get into ultra renewals, whatever else. I think we'll get around it and we'll get around it with technology. So IDD is why people like Starling can't allow you, can't hand your details over to the insurance provider. So Starling is a retail bank. It has a marketplace which offers insurance products. And I spoke to them and I said, why Why do I still have to go and fill all these details in? You, Starling, have all these details. You've done all the KYC and AML checks on me. You know who I am. You know how old I am. You know where I live. Why can't you just hand that to Anorak and then, you know, we'll just fill in the policy? And they just said, we are not allowed. And yeah. I believe that that's down to IDD as well. And that is a huge problem when it comes to kind of the open API ecosystem, but also really holding back the, the benefits of that holistic system that we can talk but the about. Principle itself, uh, the principle itself, Scott, I, I could not be more, because people people fundamentally just don't care about it, right? If I'm being really crude to the industry that I love, people just don't care about it enough. And they will care about it when it comes to investment and pensions and all that sort of stuff. But the general insurance side, just embed it into the car I buy or the house I rent or whatever else, which is why having your service plugged in and made auto magic, if I'm allowed to use the word, then it's seamless, right? It's did you say magic? auto he did. magic? He did. When you, say they don't, when you say they don't care about it, what do you mean? Sorry? just How many apps do you have for insurance on your phone? Uh, are we asking the wrong audience? We probably are. <laughs> probably a few. Oh, bugger. I don't think I do. There have you go. That's I the I for. Yeah. I've definitely got... Uh, progressive for my vehicle in the US. I've also got um, Lemonade. Uh, I might have one Don't more. Say that. It's, it's all right. Let's move away from causing anybody more, any more PTSD. <laughs> and let's just say, before we wrap up, Nigel, I know you have a point to make. I want to make sure everybody has a so if everybody has a think about what the like what the future of this space is if there's anything that you think that hasn't been covered already that you think you really want to say I'll, then. I'll leave the app piece alone we'll come back to that at another show I'm sure um, it, the answer I get is normally your answer in terms of every single time other than South Africa which is a different one the the whole wealth management space for me you've got me thinking now I'm a, I'm a hundred percent aligned to Scott on the embedded and invisible we'll work it out with the regulators to make sure it's fair for people you've the show's got me thinking about do we have to speak the right language to the right people and is wealth management even to me a 44 year old man that tries to understand some of this thing says I don't really like the idea of wealth management it feels wrong I feel poor all the time for a starter so wealth is probably the wrong word to use mm. for me mm. anybody else got any final thoughts on this well, I just think in general, the you know, the insure tech, well tech piece, I think is gaining a lot more traction at the moment because there is a lot of synergy between the two. I think um, insurance firms are going to have to do something. Uh, technology is coming. You know, you take the extreme example of autonomous cars. What are you going to do when that happens? You know, if if insurance does get embedded in certain ways, where do they it sit will. in that value chain? Okay, good. Already, already is. <laughs> yeah. no, I just got his little house already. resting on it. So. <laughs> yeah. um, then that is where this holistic piece, you know, it's the, I guess, the easiest way for insurance firms to do something still within the ecosystem that they are a part of without having to literally start from scratch in an entirely new vertical. 
Mm. I, I already think that insurance and wealth has crossed over, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just I look at a lot of our customers and they are providing wealth management services. You know, it's called insurance because it's got some tax benefits associated with it, but it's, <laughs> it does. I mean, it's it, in the US especially, like offering savings products has a huge amount of tax, tax benefits for the for the for the customer, so I think there's already been a significant amount of crossover. Kind of to Nigel's point, like I, I don't like the term wealth management. I, I just think I think generally in the industry, and I could go off on this for a long period of time. Jargon is terrible. Mm-hmm. Who wants to pay a premium? Sounds awful. You're paying. It sounds like you're paying above the odds. I want a premium seat on an aeroplane. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to pay a premium. And the other one I'd really dislike, aside from wealth management, is death benefit. <laughs> Like, how is there a benefit in death? Like, why on earth would you write that into? <laughs> why would you write? Why on earth would you write yeah. it into a policy? Have, Here's your well, death benefit. Awesome. Have you heard of? Have you? My in-law died. That's have you heard of? Have you heard of the company Dead Happy? I have. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't, go and look it up. It's a fantastically different approach to life insurance. Um, before we wrap up, Scott, any final thoughts? No, I, I think it's been covered well. I think honestly, the more and more we can make it invisible make it seamless when I'm engaging in things that might otherwise be entertaining me and then offer me the ability to protect my wealth, protect my future, whatever it might be. I think it just makes makes a lot of sense. Maybe that term that I heard the other day of protection is the one that we should be using then. You're protecting your wealth, you're protecting your Why is it not prepared? I'm going to think about this now. But when do you pivot then into life insurance? Will you ever... Nigel, it's a podcast. Nobody knows who you're talking to. Sorry, I'm pointing to To the older older guy who is, uh, right, who's uh, the grandpa entrepreneur, I think is what I call it. Uh, Yeah, right. I think I pivoted into life life insurance when I, uh, when my 37-year-old now daughter um, gave birth to our, our one, two, three. You do not have a 37-year-old daughter. I do, I, and I right. have five grandchildren. Anyhow, that's enough. I'm going to wrap that yeah. up, Nigel. <laughs> you and Scott can go and catch up over a beer. Um, thank you so much to my guests for joining me today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Jeff, do you have a website, a Twitter handle you'd like to share with the listeners? I do. Uh, so website is www.montu.com, M-O-N-T-O-U-X. Uh, we also have, um, an event we run in New York called InsureTech NYC. We get about 150 people every three or four months coming along and, and hearing about some other startups in the industry. So you can go to nycinsuretech.com to find out about some of those events and then, you know, on Twitter and, and LinkedIn under Montu. Perfect. Mel, how about you? Yep, head over to our website, nicoro.com, which is N-U-C-O-R-O, or you can get us on Twitter at Nicoro Team. Perfect. Scott, how about you? Trove, T-R-O-V, it could be pronounced Trove, uh, T-R-O-V.com. Actually, go to the blog. That's probably the most uh, interesting part of it. We'll and for it. the for the Lloyd's, uh, the Halifax product, is that still the best place to go? Yeah, go to the Halifax website, check that out. Yeah, and we have a whole, we just put, published this whole thing on our blog that shows the whole um, the flow. Yeah, it's really nice. Brilliant. And Nigel, how about 22 seconds you? to a quote. Sorry, that's all you can. How long? So, sorry. 22 sorry. seconds. I went through the thing. It's really good. V- versus a minute and 22 for lemonade. Sorry. Oh. <sighs> sorry. It was going to come at some point. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter, as always, giving out about scooters. I think he got run over by one on the way over here, by the way, uh, with Sarah. And I'm at Nigel Walsh. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you to all of my guests, to Jeff, to Melanie and to Scott, and of course to Nigel for joining me. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders, our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon F. Um, if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify and your other podcast providers. Also, 
we're relaunching the 11FS newsletter. We want to give you, the financial services community, the disruptors and curious thinkers, a snack-sized roundup of the biggest stories of the week. Every Friday, you'll receive a summary in our 11FS style, along with interesting blogs and so much more straight to your inbox. If you're not a subscriber, do sign up today at 11FS.com forward slash newsletter. Um, If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening. We will have more InsureTech Inside for you in two weeks' time. Goodbye.